0: So those are good songs, aren't they? Yeah. All right. Are you, uh, I hope all of you are following the Bible reading plan. And if you are, you will get through the New Testament this year. And, uh, and so that's a good thing. I don't know if all of you try to read through your Bible uh, once a year, try to get through it regularly. I do. I never make it through in a year. usually it takes me a year and a half to two years to get through it. But um, uh, that's partly uh, because I read slow. And, and I think also as I've gotten a little bit older, I uh, find myself being more curious about certain things that I read. And instead of just uh, reading and glossing over things, I I'm more curious now when I see little things that I don't understand it than I find myself looking it up more. So I'm, I'm going slower probably than I ever before. Probably going slower in some other things than I've ever gone before as well. So, uh, But our Bible reading plan, uh, when you look at it, it doesn't allow us to read through the book of Acts entirely. We, uh, It kind of jumps around a little bit. And our reading this week is from Galatians chapter 6. So one chapter there, and then the the reading plan takes us over to uh, Act or uh, yeah to Act back to Acts uh, chapter 17 and 18, and then we jump over to First Thessalonians 1 and 2. So, Galatians 6, Acts 17 and 18, and 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. So let me give you a little rationale for that. Um, the, the reading plan kind of helps us to follow some chronological order through the book of Acts. So Acts is providing a history of the church, and we get in starting in Acts chapter 13, where Paul goes out on his first missionary journey, and then, you know, he comes back to his home church at Antioch. He rests, kind of recuperates, revives a little bit. His first missionary journey took him three years, And so then he comes back again to Antioch, his home church, and there he reports, shares, they pray, then he goes out on his second journey, comes back to Antioch, then he goes on his third journey, comes back to Antioch. Well, he goes, third journey goes to Jerusalem, and then eventually comes back to Antioch. But, uh, so you see the history of, of Paul ministering primarily to Gentiles, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, and he goes back. So, what we do is, when we're reading through Acts, then the reading takes us over to read some of these other letters, First Thessalonians and, and his letter to the churches of Galatia, to that to the Galatians plural, multiple churches up in Galatia, that area, and uh, and so uh, we're kind of reading through. So if that does, so if it seems a little odd, why are we jumping around? It's because we're following the kind of the order of how things occurred. So, let's talk about Galatians for a few minutes. Uh, Clay did last Tuesday, and then he shared again to Wednesday night talking about Galatians. So let me just reset very quickly. On the first missionary journey, Paul uh, uh, goes up uh, in, in up into the Galatian region, and he preaches to these Gentile cities, uh, Perga, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and um, he goes in those areas and comes back and then goes to back to his home church in Antioch. So at the end of the first missionary journey, when he's back resting up in Antioch, he hears information, news about all of these churches up in that Galatian area. And the news that he hears is not good. It's troubling to him because there were... Um, um, some things happening in this church were in those churches where some uh, false teachers had come in, and they were causing some divisions, some problems. And so, uh, he writes this letter uh, to be circulated to all of those churches. So, he's home resting up, writes this letter circulating through all those churches, and he expresses some thanks for how they'd been saved and how God was at work in them. But then he addresses this issue that they're deserting the gospel. And this is the news. He was deserting the gospel. Now, you say, how were they deserting the gospel? Well, they weren't rejecting it. So they, they accepted Christ, were saved, baptized, had been discipled. Um, and so they weren't rejecting the gospel. What had happened, some false teachers came in, and they were they were confusing them regarding the gospel. And so Instead of just being saved by faith through Christ, so that's the gospel, right? Christ died on the cross for us, you know the gospel, buried, rose again, and so our faith, the only thing that saves us is completely in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, what he did for us. These false teachers were coming in there and they were saying, well, yeah, that's true, but there's some also things you need to do in order to be saved, and so they were mixing some other things into the gospel. Syn- it's called synchronizing that they were blending some other things into the gospel, and they were, and it, it was no longer the pure gospel it was, it was being diluted, and so that's what was going on. If you have anybody, look at look at chapter one of Galatians, verse six through nine. Look what he says, my marvel, Um, Paul says, I'm amazed that you are turning away so soon, so quickly from Christ who called you in the grace of Christ. And here's what he's marveled, here's what he's amazed at. He says, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who are troubling you and are perverting the gospel of Christ. And so that was the problem. Keep reading, verse eight. For if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we preached to you, let him be cursed, anathema. And verse nine: As we have said before, so now we say again. If anyone preaches another gospel, you to other than the one that you received, let him be accursed. So he's he's reiterating that. So um, he'd left false teachers and start coming into those churches. If you look at verse seven, he says that chapter. He says they're troubling you. If you go over to chapter five, same book, chapter five, verse twelve, he says the same thing. These people have come into the church and they're troubling you. And there, uh, uses a similar word. Some translate it trouble. Some will say that they're unsettling you. So that would be like somebody coming into this church and saying, preaching the gospel, but then adding to it. What do you think our response as a church would be? So in other words, um, they say, uh, yeah, uh, our faith needs to be in Christ, but we as a church need to be telling people they have to do all of these other things as well to be saved, that their salvation is dependent upon that. Um, That would be confusing. Um, And it would be a distortion of the gospel. Um, an example of that would be churches today, and there are many um, who teach what uh, what I would refer to as sacramental theology, s- doctrine that's sacramental. So they would teach that um, there are certain sacraments that you have to observe in order to be saved. And so they um, present the gospel, but also these other sacraments. And have you all heard that before, sacramental theology? So Christ is not enough. You also have to do these other things. That's a distortion of the gospel. So we as a church would say there's certain other things the Bible commands us to do as Christians. We're to assemble ourselves for corporate worship. Amen. We are to get connected with other believers. We're to study the Scriptures. We're to financially to give to the church. We're to serve each other. We're trying to witness and share our faith. So there's lots of other things that we emphasize, but those things don't save us. Those are things, those are expressions of our faith. So there was some some troubling things going on in these churches. Uh, The motives were these false teachers were trying to win applause and praise from the Jewish authorities, Uh, Because the Jewish authorities, um, you remember they were reacting strongly to Paul preaching to the Gentiles faith in Christ alone. And the Jewish people who had been converted, they said, well, yes, but you also need to tell them to, to adhere to the laws of Moses. All these ceremonial laws and those still, so it wasn't enough that they became Christians, they had to become Jewish Christians and circumcision and all the other things that Clay talked about last week. So it was a, a distortion, and so Paul is saying, "No, you're to reject all of those things." And it was a uh, it was creating some real problems. Look at chapter five, verse fifteen. It was confusing to the church. If you see in chapter five, verse fifteen, Paul warns them, "You need if you continue to bite and devour one another, beware lest you consume one another." So there's some division. Some arguing, some, uh, uh, some contention that's occurring in the church because what's being taught, what's being preached is confusing. And so uh, that's what Paul is writing about. He's trying to get them to be clear. Um, and the theme is that there was one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who kept the law. He fulfilled the law completely, never sinned, And so, again, our salvation is through faith in Christ, not through keeping the law. And we'll move on here. But look look at chapter 3 of Galatians. This is really the key to the whole book. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Before faith came, or this new covenant that Jesus came to establish, he says we were kept under guard by the law kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And then he says in verse 24, regarding the law, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith is come, we are no longer in need of a tutor. We're not under a tutor anymore. So uh, what is a What is a tutor? It's a teacher, uh, tutelage, one who tutors. And so tutelage or tutoring, if you're in school, is to help you to know a subject, to, to train you, uh, maybe to get you ready for a big test, for a final exam. That's what a tutor does, prepares you uh, and moves you along in, ed- in education. Well, the Bible says the, the law is kind of a tutor. It prepares us for something to come. What was to come? Christ and this new covenant that we're saved by faith, not through the law. And so that's really the theme of this. So our reading uh, this week was from Galatians 6. So let me just look. So if you go over there, just to highlight a couple verses from this sixth chapter. There's a warning in Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. If a Christian, man or woman, uh, is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you all be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So he's writing to the church and he's saying, hey, uh, if there's someone in the church... A friend someone in your small group someone in your Sunday school class a brother or sister in Christ in the church and you see them you become aware that they're struggling with something all right maybe uh, there's a there's someone in the church and they go through a test some real difficult time and they get very discouraged and maybe that discouragement leads them to um, to sin Um, I'm trying to think of an example Maybe someone gets goes through a real difficult time here at Hillcrest, they 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 struggle, and all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. They quit coming to church. And and so what do you do? What does the Bible say? That you and I, as a brother or sister in Christ, were to do this gently, in a non-judgmental fashion, were to were to go to them and try to restore them. Well, to restore, restoration. So if there's somebody in your Sunday school class and all of a sudden they disappear and they're gone, or somebody in our church family and they maybe they just don't show up anymore, that would be one example. Those of you who are spiritual, you're mature, you're strong in your faith, go reach out to them. Go try to restore them. And he says, do it with gentleness. You ever done that? And that. So that's that's the idea. And there could be other examples where Oh, I, well, I could give you all kinds of examples, but uh, there was a, let's say there was a, a young, young guy, young lady in our church, and they grew up here. And all of a sudden, um, maybe you got a relationship with them, and you hear that uh, they've decided to move in together and live together before they get married. Well, that's sin. And so it says, somebody in the church, those who are mature, need to go to them and sit down and talk to them, and say, not beat them up. Says gently in love, and say, hey, this is not God's plan. This is not what in God intends, and you're trying to restore them. So that is a that's a form of discipline, church discipline, and and uh, where we're we're caring enough for each other to to get involved in our life. Now, my experience is sometimes we as Christians we just we don't want to do that. Uh, we don't we think, well I don't want to stick my nose in somebody else's business. I might make them mad, I might offend them. And I certainly understand that kind of rationale, but that's not what God tells us to do as believers. Um, If you you know what does it say if a parent loves the, the child, if a parent loves their grandchildren you discipline them, right? And so, if we love each other enough in the body of Christ, we ought to be reaching out and caring for people. Um, that's an expression of love. And sometimes in the church, we think doing these kind—we think about doing these kinds of things. We think about discipline being punitive and negative, and it's the exact opposite. It's positive. The Bible says that God loves us in Hebrews, and so He disciplines and chastises us because He loves us. So, great, some great verses there. You, something for you to think about. Uh, are you your brother's keeper? Absolutely. Your sister's keeper? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's also why it's so important for all of us as Christians to be connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? So, where we're accountable to them and they're accountable to us, I uh, just just more all the time see the value and the importance of accountability. I feel like as as your pastor, I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to this church. Um, And uh, if you see some things uh, in my life, or if I said something or did something that you thought was offensive or insensitive, or maybe it caused somebody to sin, caused somebody to stumble, you need to speak into my life. And if I'm right with God, if if I'm walking with the Lord like I'm supposed to be, uh, that will not be offensive to me. I always think about it this way if if there's something that I could do better or more effectively then I want to I want to be all that I can be for Christ and so if, if I see something in your life you see something in my life where we're to help sharpen one another so that's that that's the idea that Paul is saying here in Galatians 6 a couple other verses in this chapter if we're looking at verse seven and eight really good. There's a warning here. Do not be deceived, Christian believer. God is not going to be mocked. For whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. Um, do you ever do you ever think there's a mindset that we might have that we think, well, um, I'm tempted. There's a certain sin in my life, and it's private, and I, I I'll go ahead and. You know, I'm, I'm in this sin but nobody else knows about it. It doesn't really hurt anything. It's not really going to matter. What does the Bible say? It matters. Who knows? God knows. There are no private sins with God. He knows our sins and He says don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself and think that you can sin and get away with it. Sin, the Bible says there's all, sin, there's always a price to it. Little sins big sins we think in our mind, it's all sin before God and there's always a price. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever a man, whatever a woman uh, sows, the will also reap. So there's always consequences to sin. And I can tell you one consequence even in some private sins, those private sins are still going to affect your personal intimacy in your walk with Jesus. It's going to produce guilt and condemnation uh, you're going to lose confidence in your prayer life, confidence in your walk with the Lord. You'll lose spiritual boldness with Christ. And you just don't walk in a victorious Christian life when there's sin. And so all of us sin, but First John talks about that we as a follower of Christ not to, to live in sin. Um, and so um, just a great verse there. Verse, verse 14, we'll close with this and then move all back to Acts. Look at verse 14, great verse. Paul or uh, Don mentioned it earlier, God forbid and see if this is a convicting verse for you. God forbid that we should boast, that we should brag except or in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if we're going to brag, if we're going to boast in anything we want to boast and brag, on Christ and the cross and the gospel, what he's done for us. That's, that's, uh, there's nothing better than that. Hey, grandkids would be great to boast and brag about. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but, but, but our real boast, our real crowd, our real joy is to be in the gospel. And uh, so those are some, some thoughts from Galatians. six. go with me over to Acts 17 and 18. Um, so we'll go over there. Um, Acts 17 and 18. Um, if you have your Bible, if you see, uh, you can look at this in Acts chapter 15 is where Paul starts his second missionary trip. So Acts 13, the church is praying, fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and says, send out Paul and Barnabas to the work for which I've called them. And so The church prays, send the guys out, they come back, they're resting, and then they're getting ready here to go back on their second uh, campaign, second trip. So we see that in Acts 15, I'm going to get over this little background to Acts 17. Look at Acts 15 with me, and let's read verses 36 through 41. This is laying the groundwork for them to start their second trip. So they're in Antioch resting up. Um, If you notice before this in Acts 15 verse 35 it says Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. So they're home resting up, ministering the word even there. Now verse 36. Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas hey are you ready to go? I'm feeling ready. He says let us now go back And visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord. And let's go see how they're doing. So they're getting ready to second the trip, launch their second mission trip, and they say, let's go back and check on the churches. Uh, Let's revisit. Let's check on the work. Let's see how things are going on in the church and how we might strengthen them. So um, keep reading. Verse 37, so... Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, which was his cousin. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in, in the work. So you remember on the first trip, they take John Mark with them, and John Mark gets tired a few months in, and he quits. And Paul is angry, doesn't want anything to do. He's a quitter, he's thrown in the towel. So when they get ready to go on the second trip, Barnabas is saying, hey, let's give him another chance. Let's take John Mark back with us. And Paul says, no way. I'm not, he's not going with us. You can't depend on him. He'll, he'll hold, leave you holding the bag. And so verse 39 says, then the a contention became so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they separated. They parted from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, And Paul chose chose Titus or Silas and departed uh, being commended uh, by the brethren to the grace of God and they went through Syria and Sicily to strengthen the churches. So um, instead of Antioch sending out one team, they send out two teams. And so here in verse, that verse there, 41, is where Paul sets out on his second trip. Now, um, so they go Back, revisit some of the churches, and then they, on the second trip, they go into some new areas. They go up into Asia Minor, and then the, God opens the door for them to go over into Macedonia. And so they go up, make the visit the churches, go up into this, uh, up into this Asia Minor territory, then further uh, northwest into Macedonia. And then they come down through Achaean Greece. And that's where we arrive in Acts 17 and 18. In Acts chapter 17, you remember remember they have just uh, had to flee for their lives out of Thessalonica. They were in a Greek city there, and as they preach and minister the word, the Jewish Jews there were so hostile that Paul was preaching the gospel that they, they hate him, to try to kill him. And so he flees from there down to Berea. I love what it says about Berea. They were more noble Christians at Berea, and they were, or those, uh, the people that he was ministering to, and they searched the word out. And so, and then after they leave Berea, he comes down to Athens. Uh, and you remember uh, when he's at Berea, some of those Jews from Thessalonica find out he's in Berea, and they hate him so much. Then they travel down to Berea to get rid of him, and so they they secretly uh, Paul escapes from Berea and he comes, comes down, travels down, gets on a ship, and then travels, comes down to Athens, and he leaves Paul and Silas behind. And so here he is, and I preached on this a couple of Sundays ago. He's in Athens. And you remember um, Greek city, Greek philosophy, Greek mythology, had lots of gods. And Paul, as he walks through the city, he's troubled. He's grieved by what he sees, he sees uh, all this pagan worship, all of these false gods, all of these idols, and they had one uh, idol that was uh, dedicated to the unknown god. So they were wanting to make sure that they weren't leaving any gods out, so just to cover their bases. And Paul connects with them. He says, "Hey, uh, you know, begins to preach gospel. They hear about it." And so these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers say, hey, we want to hear more about this, this, new, this new message that you are sharing among us. And so they invite Paul into the Areopagus, and he stands there and he says, oh, oh, people, men of Athens, I, I perceive that you're a religious people. And I noticed you had an altar uh, to, dedicated to the unknown God. And let me, can I tell you about this unknown God? And they say, yeah, we want to hear you. And so then he goes and he preaches the gospel. uh, And he he ministers to them. Uh, Just a great, great text. And and I mentioned this. If you look at the end of Acts 17, it kind of shows the different ways that people respond to to Jesus and to the gospel. Remember the parable of the sowers? When Jesus talks about a sower went out to sow seed, and the seed fell on different types of soil. Well, those different types of soil represent how people respond to God's word. Well, at the end of Acts 17, Paul says, Luke records that people respond in three ways. It says some mock. So when they heard the gospel, they laugh at it, they mock it, they ridicule it, they reject it. And he said, some, when they heard this message, They procrastinated. They delayed. Uh, Maybe they were convicted by God's Spirit to believe, but they refused to repent of their sins and to trust Christ, and so they put it off. Do you think people do that today? Yeah, they hear the gospel. They believe the gospel. they, they, They know it's of the Lord, but they reject it. They refuse to repent and and put their faith in Christ. By the way, John chapter 3 tells us why people reject the gospel. It says because they love their lifestyles. They love the darkness, living in sin. And so many people reject Christ because they don't want to give up certain things in their lives. which you and I understand to be those who uh, have you have you ever known people that, that said maybe you thought about this way maybe years ago before you came to Christ those christians they just don't have any fun they can't drink they can't dance they can't go to parties and clubs they can't do all this fun stuff you know and gosh I don't I don't want to live like that it's and lose all my freedom do all these fun things and so they That's the world because they think that Christians are in slavery. Can't do this, can't do that, can't can't have any fun. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible teaching, and this is in Galatians, that those who are really enslaved are those enslaved to sin. They don't even know it. The enemy has them enslaved to their own sins. And what do we know is the result of sin? Sin produces consequences, ultimately, death. And so people there as Paul preached in Acts 17 some mocked just thought it was a bunch of ridiculous we have those kind of people in our culture today more all the time who reject God who reject the gospel and then there was others who procrastinated they perhaps thought it was true but they didn't want to make any changes in their lives so they reject it but then at the end of that it said but there were some who what who believed They believed, and they were saved. So Paul stays there uh, in Athens for a while, and then he travels in Acts chapter 18 to Corinth. He travels to Corinth. He goes, uh, it's another Greek city. He moves, let's see, uh, he moves west to Corinth, and he stays there for a while, and uh, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to rejoin him. And so while he's there in Corinth, uh, he begins to minister a little bit. He never just sets idle. And in Corinth, he meets this. Uh, there was some persecution going on in Rome. And there were some believers named, do these names sound familiar? Aquila and Priscilla, uh, a husband and wife, a Jewish couple who had come to faith in Christ. And Claudia, uh, emperor there, in Rome, there's some persecution breaks out. So they flee and they come to Corinth. And so when Paul is there, uh, his strategy, uh, he goes to Jewish synagogues, he goes out to engage with people or into the marketplaces, he's always, he's never just sitting back saying, y'all come and hear the gospel. There's a lesson there for us as Christians, as the church. We're pretty good about y'all come and be with us at church, but we're not as effective as we need to be about going out and engaging with people. And so Paul is intentional, he's going out, he's engaging, he's sharing the word, looking for people of peace, uh, Luke describes in the Gospel of Luke, those who might be open, those who might be receptive, and so he goes, and engages with people, he's in the synagogue there, and he meets these Jewish, this Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and they, they partner up, and they begin to minister together. Um, and then Paul, or and then Silas and Timothy, they rejoin the team, and so they, they minister there uh, in, in, uh, at, in Corinth. Look at Acts chapter 18, verses 8 through 11. We've got a little bit of a description that happens here. Um, it says in verse 8 of Acts 18, then Crispus... The ruler of the synagogue, and so you remember Paul is engaging with believers there, or with Jews there, trying to reason with them from the scriptures. And it says Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. Isn't that good news? And many of the Corinthians, hearing the word, believed the word and were baptized. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel. As an expression of their faith, they were baptized. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they were baptized. And then I like what God, God encourages Paul. You know, he'd been having a tough time. Persecution, been stoned, beaten with rock, all kinds of, locked up in jail. Look at verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, in a dream of vision. Paul, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. you think he was tempted? Do you ever think Paul was tempted not to speak? You ever thought he was, uh, well, maybe he was. You ever think he got discouraged? Sure he does. Before he, When he writes to 2 Corinthians, he says, he said, we, we were he he's describing himself, he said, I've had a tough time. I felt like I was, had a sentence of death on myself to, sometimes I felt like fainting and losing heart, became very discouraged. And God, God's encouraging him. Do not be afraid. Continue to speak. Do not stay silent. Verse 10, for I am with you, Paul. I'm with you. That's his word to every one of us today. He's with us. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't stop trying to reach people. For I am with you. Verse 10, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. What does that mean? I have many people in the city. God is saying, Paul, there's going to be many more people in this city who come to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You stay at it. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Continue to open your mouth. Continue to engage with people. For I have many people in this city that are going to believe. That's a good word for us uh, as Hillcrest. That there, there still are many people in New Albany, in the surrounding area, and there's still many people uh, to the nations that are going to believe if we'll we'll stay faithful to the gospel and continue to do the work that God has called us to do. And it says in verse 11 there, and Paul continued there for a year and a half, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And then as persecution intensifies and opposition grows, he eventually has to leave even the city of Corinth. Um, And he sails back east over to Ephesus, uh, eventually trying to get back to Jerusalem uh, for Passover. And then in Acts chapter, and he does make that uh, journey. And in Acts chapter, later in this chapter, Acts 18, verse 23, he, uh, he goes out on his third journey. So uh, so that's Acts 17 and 18. Now, our reading also takes us to 1 Thessalonians the first two chapters. So let me make a couple quick comments about Thessalonians. Um, You remember here on the second missionary journey, Paul leaves Silas and Timothy behind and goes to Athens. Do you remember that? And then he leaves from Athens and goes to the city of Corinth. We just said that. And at Corinth, who does he meet? He meets Aquila and Priscilla, and then Silas... And Timothy join them. So they all partner up at Corinth. And we've just looked at that. Well, when Timothy and Silas get to Corinth, you remember Paul had to flee Thessalonica. Timothy tells Paul about what's happening in, in the church at Thessalonica. And when Timothy, because Paul had left there. And do you remember? Timothy and Silas stayed behind. And so when Timothy arrives, with Paul at Corinth. He tells him about things. And so while Paul is at Corinth, here during this second missionary journey, he writes, that's when he writes this letter back to the church of Thessalonica. So he's in Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila, Silas and Timothy join them there. They're ministering there a year and a half. Timothy tells Silas what had been happening to Thessalonica. And so, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and he says, Timothy, I know you just got here, but I want you to go back. And so, he sends Timothy back up to the church at Thessalonica, and Timothy delivers that letter, and then, while Paul is still in Corinth, Timothy then travels back to Corinth, and he says, Paul, I delivered the letter, they received your letter, but they've got some questions. And so then Timothy tells Paul about these other questions that the church at Thessalonica has, and so then Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, writes a second letter, and he sends Timothy back, and he delivers that letter, and then he comes back to Corinth, and eventually they go to Ephesus, and all of them eventually make it down to Jerusalem and go back to, uh, to uh, Antioch. So that's how the, the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written on Paul's Second journey while I was in Corinth. So let me just point out a couple things about uh, these, the letters that he wrote to the Thessalonians. Um, he commends their faith. Look with me in First Thessalonians 1. Really commends their faith. 1 Thessalonians 1. Let me get there. Uh, let's read with me starting at verse 2 through verse 8. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And so, y'all, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples... This is great that he says this about these Christians. You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from the church of Thessalonica, verse 8, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything else. What was the church doing? So Paul writes this letter, Timothy delivers back, and he commends them. You guys are sharing your faith. You're spreading the gospel. Macedonia and Kea and every place around. The church was aggressively going out and sharing the gospel. That's challenging for us. What a great example. And then, over in chapter 2, I love how pastoral Paul is. Um, He relates to them as a parent. He relates to them... Um, as, a, as a nurse, very caring, very pastoral. Look at chapter two starting at verse seven. He says and he, he says, "When we were among you, verse seven of chapter two, we were gentle. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Think about a nursing mother, uh, a nursing mother holding that, that child to her to a close to herself, that child nursing. Think about the warmth and the care of a nursing mother. Paul says, that's the way we were among you. We, we cherished you. We're close. The way we, way we felt about you. As a nursing mom cherishes her own children. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you become very dear to them, dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed, and how we exhorted you and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul said, remember, remember the close relationship that we enjoyed among you? We were close. We not only shared with you the gospel, but we shared with you our very lives. Uh, We're connected with you. Uh, So he's describing a a real pastor's heart there. Uh, That's what you want in pastoral staff as a church, guys who are clear on the gospel, but also who love, who love love their church, who love their congregation. Um, Do you know that there there are some young men and they've not suffered a whole lot yet and they go into the ministry and they go to pastor churches and serve churches and sometimes they have an attitude that the church exists for them. The church exists to meet me, to pay me, to take care of me and my family. Well, there's there's certainly uh, some things in Scripture on how churches are to care for and take care of their pastors. But that's completely backwards. Um, The church doesn't exist for the pastor. The pastor is called and has been prepared by the Lord uh, for the church, to serve the church, uh, to serve, to be a servant, servant leadership. And, and to be clear on the gospel, but also to love the flock. Uh, pastors, as they serve the church, have three roles. And you see this in the book of Acts. Pastors, three. one is to be clear on the ministry of the word and prayer. Acts 6, you remember when the apostles said it's not good for us to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. And so good pastors need to be spending time in the word, in prayer, um, so that they can minister the word to those who are called uh, the preaching and teaching, but also to pray, to be praying for their church, praying for their family. So that's one leg. Second pastoral leg is that of uh, pastoral care and shepherding. Right? So in the, the image that you see in the New Testament, certainly see here, as Paul writes to, to the Thessalonians, they need to have pastors' hearts. They need to care about people and be willing to serve people as shepherds. And then third, they you see this more in the in the pastoral epistles, but good pastors need to be helmsmen. They need to be uh, those who, who lead. And so that can involve all kinds of things. So um minister to the word of God and prayer, being a shepherd, and also providing strong leadership in whatever areas where they're called to minister. And so uh, they're just that's what you see here. And then in chapter 2, let me close, uh, and we'll stop here. Verse 19 and 20, and end of the second chapter. Notice this, for what Paul raises. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our crown. This is what causes us to rejoice. Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And so he's saying as a pastor, you don't want to you want to know what brings me joy? It's you, my my church family, knowing that you're going to be prepared one day to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll stand before him, you know, with a good standing. And so he's Paul is that's, that's kind of what he's conveying here. He's he's been a good, tried to be a good, faithful pastor to them, and he's writing to them, and he's saying, uh, it's uh, I'm just thankful. This is what causes me, brings me joy, and blesses me, knowing that you're growing in the Lord, and that you're one day going to stand uh, in a in a in a place in a spiritual posture where you're ready to meet the Lord and stand before Him, and to hear Him say, "What well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in some of these things, and so now I'm going to set you over even more things, and uh, so." That's that's what we see here. So Galatians six, Acts seventeen and eighteen at Athens and Corinth, Paul writes while he's in Corinth. These two letters uh, to the Thessalonians, and then at the end of chapter eighteen, he's back um, Jerusalem for Passover, and then go meets with the Jerusalem Council, and then uh, or that's early in fifteen, but he's he's ministering back there in Jerusalem, checking on things, sharing, and then he goes back to Antioch, and then he's set out for the third journey, which we'll pick up from there. Okay. God bless you. We're done.